Hello and welcome to the third series of the Igniting Change podcast. It's a different and more challenging world in which we find ourselves this time around, so we wanted to reflect the challenges of just surviving in the COVID-19 era and what the Black Lives Matter movement has meant to some of our First Nations people. Igniting Change hasn't stopped working to make this period easier for those doing it tough, nor will it. Yes, we're all in this together, but for some, making it to the other side is just the start of the battle. We're talking today with Stella, who's the wellbeing team leader at the Hester Hornbrook Academy in Paran, Victoria. Hi, Stella. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, Stella. Can you tell us about the Hornbrook Academy and what it does? So Hester Hornbrook is an independent school. We run three campuses within Victoria. We're a school for young people who've experienced significant barriers towards um, mainstream education. So you can't come to our school unless you have a barrier towards engaging in mainstream education. Most of the time, that's a social and emotional need. So our school works really holistically with young people aged between 15 to 25 through the whole spectrum of barriers. So that could be mental health, AOD issues, homelessness, justice, school refusal. Yeah, so a whole plethora of issues. And basically what our school does differently is we work not just with a young person's education journey, but with their personal journey as well. So we have an educator and a youth worker in all of our classrooms. We try to eliminate those barriers that they've had previously to engaging in education to hope they have a really positive experience at our educational setting. And what does your role as wellbeing team leader entail? I oversee the youth work staff. So the youth workers work in the classroom space and they sort of act as like a case management role for the young people. So when they come to us, we don't know much about them other than when they enroll. So we do our basic enrolment. So that youth worker's job is really to get to know that young person, not just academically who they are, but who they are personally as well. Really establish relationships with them. That's what our school is based on, really building solid foundations, personal relationships. So we know a lot about our students. We can have our students for up to four years. So the youth worker's role is to really work with the whole person, work out who they are, who they want to be, be aspirational for them. And my job is to make sure that they're doing it basically and to also get to know the students as well. It sounds like the school provides a lifeline for these kids and and adults. I'm guessing that there's not a lot of structure or stability in their lives prior to coming to the school. It's really dependent on where that, that young person's come from. Um, sometimes there is that structure and stability, but it hasn't worked for them for whatever reason. Sometimes they come to us with nothing. So for us, it's to really build in solid routine and, and consistency. So when they come to us, they know what to expect every day. There's no element of surprise. We've got these principles we sort of live by at our school and it's to be safe and respectful. So a lot of the time they come to our place and they have had no safety and they haven't probably been treated with a hell of a lot of respect previously. So for us, it's really building those core foundations of what we believe hum- all humans should have and making sure that they get that entitlement within our school setting. So I remember when the first round of lockdown hit and I saw you on the last, I think it was like the last day before you closed down. What was that like for you to have to close the doors to people who really depended on on you guys for their everything? It's really sad. Like we, we build really strong connections with our young people. So I remember going to graduations and they're so sad because you don't get to see them again or you get along. They probably love it, but all the staff are like, oh, come back to us. We're probably much more needy than the, the students themselves. But um, yeah, it, it's really hard to, to turn people away when your school provides so much more than education. 
we were just flying by the, the seat of our pants like most people and we just did what we had to do in terms of following government instructions. But we, we still did open during the first lockdown. Um, so we are part of that, I guess, that cohort of special students who needed special consideration. So we did open up our city campus for really at-risk young people. We did our best to try to stay connected to our young people, but we know what we do so well is our face-to-face connection. So yeah, I guess it was quite sad to have the students leave us and know that we couldn't be there to provide them with lunch or that just, you know, the, those casual conversations that they really rely on. When you did close down, how did you keep in contact with the students? Our executive leadership team, so our principal and assistant principal really knew straight away that a lot of our young people didn't have access to laptops. You know, it's not as easy as saying everyone goes remote. Well, that's great if you've got the laptops or the whatever you need necessary to do so. So they went and bought 70, 75, 80 laptops and distributed them out to our young people, which was an enormous task. But we managed to get about 75 out to our young people, which was huge. We bought mobile data so they could download it on their phones and we could talk to them. Um, We could Zoom them, we could Teams them. So we had lots of things in place to make sure we could stay connected and the youth workers would contact them every single day. Are you seeing a, um, a rise in mental health issues? With some of our young people, yeah. I think there's a lot of anxiety around this COVID. So some of them are super scared to come back out the second time around. Obviously, we're trying to make concessions where possible to still continue with remote learning. So that's a real, I guess, luxury we have to do both. To be honest, they're really excited to be back face-to-face. So we've had a really good increase of students who have come back to school and want to attend school because they realise that we put so many things in place to make sure our school is safe, that they feel really connected still and they feel super safe being there. That's excellent. Are they complying with the masks and the social distancing and all those sorts of things? I know that kids aren't used to that. I know with my son's school, it's, it's tricky. We've got a really small cohort of students, so we're not like overrun by 1,000 plus students. Hmm. Um, what we've seen is an enormous amount of respect for the place. They know that if something was to occur, we would have to close down in regulations with DHS, and they don't want that. So they're super compliant. They they understand the importance of school for not just themselves, but for their other school community. So when we say put a mask on, sanitize your hands a thousand times, sign in, do this, wear this band, they're like, yeah, sure. They, they just go with the flow. So we're really lucky with our cohort because I've never had one person refuse to go and, you know, wear a mask, refuse to hand sanitize, none of that. Stella, on the other big issue of these last months, the Black Lives Matter movement, I imagine that a lot of your students aren't white. What sort of reaction have they had to that? And what are the messages that you're hearing? Yeah, they attended the protests if, if they thought that that was something that they wanted to attend. We say here nor there with that sort of stuff. In terms of political messaging, it's very much that young person does what they want they're also adults as well majority of our cohort is over the age of 18 and if they want to protest if they want to rally behind something then then that's something that we can support some young people went to it other people thought that it was probably not the right time to to rally or to protest we don't talk too much about whether people did it or not because we don't want to hyperinflate situations we don't want young people to be in spaces where they have to go and stand up for a particular thing and go no i did that so and and then have an argument about it what we do is broadly talk about things like we will bring up deaths in custody or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights or the history of Australia and not try to whitewash it. So we try to be really honest with the information, show both sides of it 
and hopefully our young people, which they are really smart, can draw their own conclusions to that. We've got really proud Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and people from diverse backgrounds in our school and they are really proud of that and they will talk openly about that. If they want to talk about their particular experiences of racism or how they see themselves culturally, then absolutely and that's super encouraged within our classroom spaces. Have you had anyone who hasn't come back because of the COVID situation? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. We, we have young people who are really scared to leave. Maybe they live with parents or carers who are affected, you know, who might have emphysema, for instance, or they live alone and, and they're just really anxious to be out in crowds. And, you know, this just adds to their anxiety to be out in large crowds or to be around people when there's a global pandemic on. So, yeah, absolutely. We've definitely had young people who continue to engage in remote learning and remotely with their youth worker and educator, but that's something that we can accommodate, which is awesome. But also knowing that we don't want them to get to a stage where they're just too scared to leave again. So it's really trying to build that stamina and resilience to go, okay, there is so much going on, but hopefully we do draw them back because we know that, you know, the longer this goes on for, the longer that they just isolate, don't see people. It's really hard to get people back after that. Speaking of resilience, how do you manage to keep up your own under all this stress and pressure? I just do my own thing. I'm quite routine. I've got my cat over there. I love my cat. Yeah, I live with my partner. It's, I guess I'm really privileged that I get to you know, I've got a backyard I can access. I, I feel quite lucky that I live with someone. And yeah, I, don't get me wrong, I'm quite over this lockdown period and I really cannot wait for it to end. But um, I'm just forever the optimist. And what would be your number one tip for surviving this coronavirus and keeping yourself together? Get out, walk, get out where you can. Obviously, where it's safe to do so. I try not to get I guess, inundated with all the, you know, Zoom chat. I'm just over all that sort of stuff. Now I feel like the first lockdown, it was like so... Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I've got another Zoom for you today. <laughs> I mean, like those social Zooms and like yeah. there's 17 of you on them and you're just like... Eh, eh. And no one can talk, yeah. Oh, I'm just over all that. I'm just like, call a friend if you need it. Yeah, relax on the weekends, have a good glass of vino and just eat really well. That's great advice. Stella, it's been great chatting with you today and I wish you all the best with your school. It's an amazing campus and you're doing incredible things and I do hope that your cohort remains safe and happy and learning. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, see the person, not the label.